0: What is up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners, welcome to another great episode of The Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we are hanging out with Elise Benin, who is a business expert for creative professionals. Elise is the author of seven business books for the creatively self-employed, a national speaker and founder of marketing-mentor.com, and she's been doing this for almost 30 years. She has coached and mentored thousands of creative professionals from designers, photographers, copywriters, and illustrators, uh, all sorts of folks to get better clients uh, ongoing as a freelancer related to marketing money and other business issues. So I am, I am so excited to have a uh, Elise on our program, because I think that her, uh, just the the sheer time in which she's been serving the market that we serve and serving uh, agency owners and creatives like you guys, uh, I think that just there's going to be so much to learn from Elise on today's program.
1: Elise, welcome to the program. Thank you, Brent. It's great to be here.
0: So I'm curious, what was the moment or uh, kind of idea that you had that attracted you to helping... Uh, creative businesses when you started?
1: Well, there is a bit of a story, which I'll give you the short version of. I was fired from my second job out of college, and I was so angry, I decided I was never working for anyone again. But I was kind of young and didn't really know what I was going to do. So all the people I knew in the New York area were very creative types, actors, singers, painters, etc. And they were all pretty disorganized. I was a little bit more organized, so I thought I'm going to be a professional organizer. This is 1988. And I just started offering my services for $15 an hour to sit with people at their desks and go through their piles of paper. And... It was amazing to me how almost everybody so consistently had something that had to do with marketing or self-promotion, mostly self-promotion, at the bottom of their piles that was not getting done, obviously, because it was at the bottom of the pile. And this happened so often that I thought, the real problem here is not the clutter or the disorganization or the chaos. That's a symptom of something else, and it seemed clear to me that creative people do everything they can to not promote themselves. And it's really so simple to promote yourself, which is get the word out about what you do. And so I just started little by little helping people get the word out about what they do. And it evolved over now almost 30 years to Marketing Mentor.
0: Wow. Is that a... I'm just going to put this out there. Professional organizer going through a creative's desk, uh, which I guess back then maybe when we weren't so computer dependent, which maybe even now is probably even more valid, but professional organizer, like like that's a thing.
1: It was just a very new thing at the time. I of course thought I made it up, but then I said it to someone and they said, Oh, you should know about the national association of professional organizers.
0: (laughs) There's a, there's a whole trade group for you, right? Exactly.
1: So, um, and now, you know, again, 30 years later, it is definitely a thing and they write books and there are people who do it at a corporate level, people who do closets only people who do small businesses only. It has evolved into a thing. I didn't really want to be an organizer. It was very clear to me that the marketing piece was more interesting and more needed for this particular market of what for me now is creative professionals, basically.
0: Hmm. So, so you could almost go down the organizer route, we'll make your desk look really nice, or we can actually help you solve the problem that seems to be hiding on everybody's desks. Like literally you're going into their quote-unquote work closet and kind of seeing their dirty laundry. and um, And then that becomes like a hard thing to probably
1: ignore. It is. And, you know, I wouldn't say I don't do organizing anymore because sometimes there is so much chaos. Sometimes it's mental chaos that needs to be cleared out before we can get to the marketing. Sometimes it is literally papers on the desk or um, on the desktop or, you know, just overwhelm in any other platform that prevents people from being organized enough to do their marketing.
0: So you mentioned that creatives resist self promotion, and we of course see this when creatives go beyond just being their uh, creative for their own, you know, freelance clients. To now they have a an agency of creatives that they're still resisting uh, to promote and, and put out there. Why do you think uh, it is the thing that? stays at the bottom of the pile, uh, the thing that... And I think a lot of creatives are conscious that this is something that they need to do, but they just either don't do it or resist it. Um, is, there, is there something that you've found over the last 30 years, uh, some truth in, in that work that's uh, helped you get clarity on that?
1: Yes. there. It's many different things. That's why it's very complex and hard to get at. I would say one of the main issues, obstacles, is the conflict in the mind of a creative person between business and creativity or art, however they think about it. Sometimes it seems like those two things cannot live together in the same person. And so I'm one or the other. I can't be both, which I don't think is true. In fact, I try to advise clients not to label themselves in the first place. Because if you say, I'm not a business person, which is what I hear a lot, then you're not going to be able to do the business things that need to be done in order to succeed, in order to pay the people who work for you. So if you see it as here are the business things that need to be done, here are the creative things that need to be done, then I think it's a little easier to swallow.
0: That's interesting. It, it, it reminds me of... I'm probably going to, I'm just paraphrasing this study, but when they you know, they see the effect of a, a mental or cognitive bias on something in, in somebody's identity. For example, I think if uh, they did some math tests where they asked, you know, they, they gave girls math tests and then right before the test, they asked them what their gender was and then they had them do the math test. And then they had people that they didn't ask them their gender and they had them do the math test. And because there's a societal bias that girls are less good at math, the ones that said, I'm a girl and then they did the math test actually did less. You know well on that and i almost feel like that's the same kind of thing with a creative in their business when they start saying to themselves well i'm not a business person i'm a creative well then the business side of things like whether they're good at business deep down or not like it almost doesn't even matter they've now like put that cloud over themselves that business is too hard for them because they're creative
1: absolutely i totally agree and as a result also they don't get the training which you need in order to do the business things that need to be done. For some reason, there seems to be this assumption that if I'm a business person, then I wouldn't need training. But that's not true. As a creative person or as a business person, you need to learn how to do the business things that need to be done. And so the bias, the, I think, inherent bias that you're talking about, which I do think exists, prevents people from learning in the first place, from going out and seeking the knowledge that they need.
0: Hmm. When you decided to go from organizer to solving this problem around creatives, marketing their business, uh, was, was marketing mentor, was it born at that moment? Or is that something that has kind of evolved and taken shape? I mean, 30, you said th- this has been a 30 year journey. That's a, that's a good deal of time for our industry. How, how, how did that form over those years?
1: It has definitely been an evolution. And I wouldn't even say there was a moment when I stopped organizing and started to focus only on marketing. I use the skills I have, which are, I think, kind of inherent in me and that I've learned by practicing over the years, but I use them as needed with the people who need them. And so sometimes there is still some helping people get organized before we can actually address the marketing issues. So I think what I would say, what I consciously, proactively have done over the years is turn my focus to the marketing piece. And then it evolved also to include helping people with pricing and general business issues that they need to learn how to do. And just away from promoting the other things. And that, again, is one of the techniques that I teach, which is pursue the things you want. And then you can decide if the other things come to you, whether you want them or not.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by pursue the things that you want? So I'm just imagining myself as one of our listeners. How do I do that? What what does that even mean
1: for me? Okay. So let's step back for a second. I am... A believer in the idea of specializing. I think that if we specialize, especially in a particular market and the needs of a particular group of people, then we become much more competent at helping that group of people or companies. And as a result, we become more confident at being able to help them And it's much easier to find them because they tend to belong to trade associations. So, for example, if I was pursuing professional organizers, then the National Association of Professional Organizers would be my market and their conference would be my networking opportunity and their directory would be my prospect list. So, when people... Uh, come to me and they say, I know I need a niche. I know we need to focus somewhere, but I can't decide where to focus. What I hear is I'm supposed to pick something and reject everything else, which is not what it is. And so what I am trying to say here is that instead of rejecting everything but your niche, you choose the place you want to focus and you start to put all of your energy into pursuing that market, which doesn't mean that everything else will stop. Other things will probably continue to come to you, people, companies, opportunities, projects, and you decide based on what's on your plate at any given moment or what your goals are, which you want to take and which you want to reject. But all of your marketing energy goes toward the ideal client, let's say, and your niche.
0: With our programs here at YouGurus, I mean, we definitely, uh, we fight that battle with people. It is a battle of getting somebody to choose where they spend their energy or getting them conscious of that idea that it's not about saying no to everything. It's about, you know, choosing where you spend your very limited marketing uh, Efforts. So, I mean, I'll ask somebody like, you know, well, how much time can you spend per week marketing your business, and they'll be like, oh, as much time as I want. It's like, okay, well, is that like five hours a week? Is that like a thousand hours a week? And they're like, oh, well, I guess, I guess I could spend like fifteen hours. I'm like, okay, because that's not a very long, like, that's not a lot of time um, to spend marketing on on your business. So I definitely think that that's a that's a very common problem that our uh, the creatives, I mean, really any entrepreneur faces. It's almost like the the core entrepreneurial dilemma of if i'm doing you know something i'm not doing another thing and i can't do everything i have to i have to make choices
1: and just going back then to your question your original question about why creative people seem to resist marketing and self-promotion in the first place. I think another aspect of it is that the reason they went into business in the first place was to do the thing they love to do, to do the creative thing. And so everything business related, unless you do it creatively and you find the creative ways to do it and to bring your creativity to it is how I often say it, then it's going to feel like the thing you don't really want to do. And as much as you think you should or know you should, you're probably not going to make the time to do it because there's always the things you really want to do, the work, the client work, that's going to take priority. And so I think part of the challenge is, number one, seeing that marketing and business can be extremely creative. And I even have clients who get kind of burned out by the creative work at a certain point and really dive into the business part and then find themselves creatively within that aspect of their business
0: I mean really when you market your own business especially if you're a, a digital marketing company or a branding company or uh, even a website development company I mean when you're working on your own stuff uh, you 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 are kind of your own client so you all those crazy weird ideas uh, obviously they should you know, support a strategic business plan or something like that, but you can be probably a little bit more out of the box on your own stuff or, you know, pursue those strategies and tactics that maybe your clients can afford or can't, don't want to pay for. So I, I know we always used to have a lot of fun as an agency doing our own marketing stuff. I think that one of the challenges was that we actually had to learn how to market ourselves versus, you know, spending three weeks on the cool animated flash homepage, uh, welcome Matt.
1: <laughs> right. And I agree with you that that is an opportunity to be a little bit more creative perhaps or edgy than your clients will allow. But I have a caveat to that, which is that it depends on who your clients are. Because if you're going after a relatively conservative market, then they may see that and think you're too edgy for them.
0: Yeah. So if, you're, if your strategy is we're going after you know, accountants or something like that, you probably don't want to have... The animated graphics that would attract the uh, high-end food brands or Nikes or something
1: like that. Exactly. And then there's also the problem or challenge of being too close to your own business to be able to see it clearly. I don't know if you encountered that with your clients, but I do, that they need an outside perspective they need my perspective on their business to say do this don't do that or here's where your sweet spot is or here's the market that responds most positively to what you're offering because sometimes they're just too close or too in it
0: yeah i think there's two quotes that come to mind for me which is uh you can't understand a system if you're inside of the system and then the other one is uh it's very difficult to read the label on a bottle of wine when you're inside the bottle.
1: Yes, I believe David Baker says that a lot. Mm.
0: Yeah. So those are those are good ones. So with the I know when you and I were talking about coming on the show, one of the things that I was very interested in your perspective on is, is just the 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 tenure, the length of time that you've been helping creatives with their business during what I would consider to be one of the largest shifts in Uh, in this type of technology since like the history of time. I mean, if you look at, I mean, over the last 30 years, we're talking about the internet, you know, mobile, social, you know, the massive technological change, the sheer volume of people that are now connected to marketing enabled devices all of the time. Has the landscape when I, when you're talking about business strategy and marketing strategy, um, has that really changed at all? Or uh, has that stayed constant and just kind of the shiny objects have changed?
1: I would say both. The things that haven't changed and maybe even have become even more important is the idea of relationships. that relationships are everything when it comes to marketing. And so no matter which tools we have at our disposal, whether it's the phone, which is what it was and, and the mail, the snail mail, which is what it was when I started, and you know people with piles of papers and phone messages and mail literally on their desk that they had not opened. Or the internet, email, text, video, whatever the new technology is. But it doesn't matter. Whatever tools you use, the most important thing is developing relationships with your market. So that has definitely not changed. Of course, the technology has changed. And one of the things I notice is that a certain generation of creatives has had a hard time evolving, basically, keeping up, learning not only the services and the techniques and the software that they need to do the work that they do, but also all of that to promote the work that they do. And there are plenty of print designers and people who really didn't know much or care much for computers who are now kind of stuck because they have not kept up. And that is very sad to see because these people are now in their 50s and 60s and can't get a job.
0: When you started your sentence with there's a certain generation that's having difficulties and I'm thinking it back to your relationships, I'm like, I don't I don't know if she's going to go like baby boomer or older or if she's talking about millennials right now. Like, I feel like there's definitely... Uh, both generations, I think the the stuff that you just talked about, that relationships are everything. And then I think about the younger people coming in, that maybe their relationship dynamic or their way of expressing relationships. I mean, we, we deal with that a lot, that they have a hard time um, picking up the phone and trying to connect with somebody for a high figure deal. We're talking about, you know, 50, 100, 200, $300,000 projects, which is very difficult to sell over Instagram or Snapchat. I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, some people have a hard time, I think, on the opposite side of the spectrum. I mean, I think I, I totally get what you're saying on that uh, end of the spectrum as well. Has Have you seen anything that that younger generation of folks is, you know, having to learn on the relationship side to make the business
1: work? Yes, I agree with you. And what comes to mind actually is a part of my business that has been growing a lot lately, which is where what I'm selling is language, basically. People don't know what to say in so many different situations now, whether it's negotiating, as you're talking about, or starting a conversation in the first place. And that could be an introductory email, it could be in a networking environment, you know, hello, my name is, or what brings you here. I'm often amazed that people just either don't know or aren't comfortable and haven't practiced how to talk to other people.
0: Hmm. You are selling language.
1: <laughs> I feel like I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my mind just exploded. Like, I'm like, oh my God, there's a market for this one No, Um, which is, you know, I, I, and I'm learning so much. And I think that, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is really, really powerful stuff. Relationships are kind of at the core of, of what you're teaching either through on the marketing side. The young millennials are having a hard time with language when it comes time to talk to people at physical events and maybe get off their phone. Your folks that are kind of older in the market that have been around for a while, uh, maybe the cheese kind of moved and they weren't really sure kind of what to do about that. I'm just kind of curious on the technology and the tactic side because I understand like the strategic side, specialized, et cetera. But what have you seen in terms of tactics? You mentioned associations, so actually getting out there, networking, getting in front of people. Um, what else is something that has has worked for people to uh, market their business?
1: The three main marketing tools that I recommend and and recommend using together, because they have to be integrated, are networking, outreach, and email marketing. The idea is that you use in-person networking. So you attend events where people go and where you can make a much stronger impression than anything you can do online, frankly. And you get to talk to them and you get to look at them and they look at you. And so you make a stronger impression. And then you follow up with some kind of email marketing newsletter or e-blast. I don't care what you call it, but To me, still the most effective ongoing tool to stay in touch, to keep visibility high, to build trust is email marketing. And if for some reason you don't have enough opportunity to do the networking or it isn't enough people that you're meeting, then you supplement that with what I call direct outreach, which some people might call warm calling or warm prospecting, and it can be done with many different tools. So it's email, it's phone, it's snail mail, it's a whole campaign that you use to get someone's attention because if you didn't meet them at the event, then it's going to take longer to get their attention. And those three tools together to the right market, if you're not doing it to the right prospects meaning your ideal prospects whose needs you are best suited to serve, then uh, if you're not doing that on a regular basis, then it's not really going to work. So my, my suggestions are often, here are the three tools that you start with. Don't do anything else until you've got those three well entrenched and a system in place to use them. And then you can add from there. But I think part of the problem is that there's so many marketing tools you could be using and people are easily overwhelmed by it.
0: You mentioned to the right prospects, and we kind of just talked earlier about using somebody like yourself to reflect back on the business in terms of their market strategy or the, the, the industry that they should be going after. Is there anything that you can tell people about how to at least attempt to do that on their own if, if they don't maybe have the budget to take to a to YouGurus program or to go to Marketing Mentor uh, or to do one-on-one coaching with you or whatever? Um, what are some of the steps that you help people identify which market or specialization is, is right for them?
1: I think what what you really need to do is uh, figure out who you are best suited to serve, and that is based on the experience you have, the connections you have, and the access you have. So the experience you have, depending on how old you are and where you've worked or what kinds of clients you've had in the past, you choose from there possible markets that you research and explore to determine which is the most viable. And that is often based on the connections that you may or may not already have in that market. Because as I said before, the hardest thing is to get someone's attention in the first place. So if you already know people or know people who know people, then it will make it easier to get someone's attention. And then access is the third element, which means, is there a trade association? Do they have events that you can attend because they're local or you can go travel to them? Is there a directory that you can use for prospecting? Is it available to the public? Do you have to become a member to get access to it? What are all of the Um, tools that you can use to access the markets that you're exploring. So, all of those things together, again, integrated, help you determine which is the most viable market. And often people say, well, how will I know if a market is viable? And my answer is, you will know pretty soon if it's not, but it may take longer to figure out if it is. So, for example, I had a call today with a client who had just come back from an event where he was meeting with his prospects. And so he had done some initial outreach to 80 possible prospects that he wanted to get a meeting with. And he got one meeting and he was really happy with that one meeting. But he came to me and he said, should I keep pursuing this market? I don't know. Is it viable? And I said, if you had gotten negative feedback, not silence. Silence is not negative. Negative feedback is, you eh, don't really need that. No, thanks, etc. Then I would say that may not be the market for you, but you got a positive response and a lot of silence. So then you keep exploring that market to keep seeing if it's viable.
0: I love what you said about silence is is not necessarily a, a negative response. You know, we always tell people like like no response does not equal no. Uh, you know, keep calling back, keep try- trying. If if you get to a no, then okay, now you have you have some definitive uh, answer. But I think that you know why is that that people are we're so hardwired that if somebody doesn't respond to us or you know give us positive affirmation immediately that we think, oh, this must be a terrible, this must be a terrible market. I, I, I'm never going to make money in, in, in this market.
1: I think it's complex. But one of the things I notice is that people take these things very personally. There's a vacuum there in the silence, and they fill it with whatever is negative, And they imagine it has something to do with them, where the reality is that of these 80 people, let's say, that my client reached out to, he doesn't even know if they were all going to attend that event in the first place. Maybe 50 of them weren't even going to the event, right? So there's so much you don't know about what's going on on the other side, and it's really easy to make stuff up. And so I tell my clients, don't make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really hard. And another component, I think we are lazy, and we just want to give up at mm. the first possible moment, and that's what people do.
0: Something I hear, uh, you know, in our community and in our program that we we fight a little bit over to try to get people on the same page is is they get some. Uh, bias about a market handed to them by another creative, another agency owner. Oh, restaurants are terrible. They're low margin. They're awful clients. You can't make money with nonprofits. Oh, churches are are, are never going to pay you. They never have enough money. I mean, we always hear this when somebody brings up, they'll, they'll even say like, well, I was thinking about focusing on restaurants, but everybody I talk to says they're a terrible market. And I'm like, like everybody in terms of like restaurant owners you talk to? And they're like, no, 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 Like my other freelance friends and my other like agency friends. and And I try to educate people on that bias, that availability bias that most people are, you know, they're making that judgment based on maybe one or two bad experiences. How does somebody... Do that research to educate them. Is there any tools out there? Is there any, you know, five point checklist of like here's the things that I should look at before I, um, before I reach out to eighty clients in a market to see if they'll talk to me.
1: I think it's a lot of footwork, really. I mean, to be. I always advise my clients to just go to an event. Don't join the organization before you've attended an event or two to make sure that your people are there and they they know that you need, they know they need you because there's also the distinction between, I think they need me, but they don't think they need me, right? There are lots of companies out there who think their digital strategy is just fine or, Maybe they imagine it's going to be too expensive to do something better or to do something more. And so you really need to find, I always think it's the cream of the crop, the top minority layer in any market that is going to value your services and be willing to pay for them.
0: So making sure that when you're You know, going out to a specific market, let's just use restaurants for an example. You know, you're not you're not going to like the smallest cafe in town and frustrated like, oh, they won't spend over five hundred dollars on a website. It's like that's obviously not who if you're gonna go after that market, you should be thinking about the top ten percent, the top maybe twenty percent at most for your your target market.
1: Exactly. And already, there's a built-in, oh, but I'm sure they've already got someone. Oh, but they don't know me. Oh, but my work isn't good enough, or I don't have any examples. I mean, excuse after excuse after excuse is what's going to get in the way unless you don't let it.
0: Have you heard of the term excuse No. that's i don't don't know i read the book um the magic of thinking big and he has a whole chapter on excuse itis right i was like oh my god the book was written like a long time ago like he gives example salaries that are like amazing and out of this world and it's like thirty thousand dollars or something like that a year is like his big executive salary i can't remember when the book was written but he has a whole chapter on excuse itis which i thought is um i don't know i've been identifying that in my life when i personally make an excuse for why something can't happen i'm like oh crap I have (laughs) excuse-itis. I must cure myself.
1: Right. Um, Right. And some people don't recognize their reasons, quote unquote reasons, as excuses unless they say them out loud to someone else who says, you know what? That is wrong. That doesn't make any sense.
0: In that vein, when somebody presents to you an excuse, I know that sometimes when I get advice or somebody challenges me on that, that can be an uncomfortable moment. Um, how, how do you handle that with creatives when you kind of see that they're telling themselves something that's, that you know is not to be true, but they haven't really believed it yet? I mean, I think the, the core word that comes to mind is like a mindset issue, right? So how, how do you help somebody overcome those, uh, those mindset issues or excusitis?
1: The first thing I would say is that it takes time. It's not something that can be done in a half an hour or even, you know, two hours. And that's why I work with people over time, because I have to chip away at the things that they keep telling themselves. And I do that by just telling them the truth, because there aren't too many people in your life. Who will tell you the truth? And you know, often other creatives have as much excuse itis as you do, or your spouse, you know, has something at stake in whether or not you do your marketing. And so they may not be telling you the truth. But when you pay someone to tell you the truth, often they will. And I feel like that's my job. No, that makes no sense. No, that's wrong. No, you're just, you know, lying to yourself. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Calling them on their on their stuff. I I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Elise, are you ready for uh, this? I love this conversation. I, I could go on for for a long time and I, I have some some questions off air to ask you, but um, are you ready for a lightning round? Sure. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received?
1: Listen, it's really that. It's really um, the idea that everyone thinks they sh- need to be talking more and that's one of the things that gets in the way. And... I advise people to just listen and ask a lot of questions and learn as much as they can.
0: I love that. You, I think you're the, the first uh, first guest who has given me one word. And I was about to say something and I was like, wait a minute. She said, listen, I'm going to listen for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success?
1: I'm very disciplined. So... I get up early, I'm very structured, and it's really important if you're going to run a business and be someone that others rely on to have that much discipline. And I find a lot of my clients lack that discipline and need to build it. And it's really just a muscle. So that's how it's helped me all along.
0: Mm, that's great. Can you share an internet resource, a tool that you use that helps you in your business or life? Um, Something like Evernote or Trello or whatever that you think uh, our listeners would find value in?
1: You know, one of the things that I've been appreciating lately is uh, on YouTube, it will automatically transcribe a video. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I like to capture the text from the things that I listen to. And so I'll do the automatic transcription and then I can capture the text and use it for my notes so I don't have to write everything down.
0: Oh, I, I mean, I've we use that when we publish our content to YouTube to make sure that there's the subtitles or the Uh, captions or whatever but i've never actually thought to use that for myself for other content that i'm consuming that's 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 pretty ninja i like it what book would you recommend and why
1: one of my favorite books lately it's not that new it's called the most human human and it's about uh, the Turing test, actually, which is a computer test uh, based on some work by Alan Turing. And it's just fascinating talking about the difference, what makes us human and the difference between humans and computers. Because I think part of the challenge now, as so much becomes automated, is to, again, remain human and develop relationships with people. And this book, I've just loved and I've given it to a lot of people.
0: A lot of the books that have been brought up on our show so far have been books that have been like, oh yeah, I just read that, or like, oh, I've I've been recommended that, and that's a whole that's a new book that I have not heard of and has not been recommended to me to this date. And I'm very interested in that whole space with like the Turing Test. I don't have you read that the Singularity is near, uh, Ray Kurzweil. I mean, that's getting into like futurism, like so. Uh, and this is just going down a rabbit hole here, but the Singularity is the moment when essentially computers are going to be able to pass uh, essentially the Turing test. And so it's at that moment because of the fast pacedness and the interconnectedness and the prevalence of processors and, and the networks that, um, you know, just imagine like a computer being able to replicate like a trillion human human being brains like in literally seconds. Like that's supposedly the quote unquote the time that the 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 things will shift where some large discoveries will happen and and you know the cyborgs will show up and and take our planet from us.
1: <laughs> and so this book The Most Human Human is similar in the sense that the author Brian Christian basically went to take the turing test right he was one of the humans who was participating in the turing test and so it was determining what the most human computer was and he was trying to figure out what makes the most human human the most human
0: that's uh that's fascinating that we'll get on my reading list here and hopefully and we'll link that out in our show notes and uh definitely recommend that one can you tell our audience about how they can find out more about you and where they can check out anything that you might have for them
1: Of course. uh, My hub is at marketing-mentor.com. And you can access my blog. And I host two podcasts. And I have an online store. And you can sign up for a free mentoring session and sign up for my quick tips. And everything is really right there at marketing-mentor.com.
0: Very cool. And I definitely want to recommend you guys check out her her podcast. Uh, What episode number are you on?
1: I think 350 something.
0: 350. We're on like 21. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, definitely check out uh, Elise's podcast. Uh, check out our website, marketing-mentor.com. I've taken uh, copious notes today and, and things that we could do better on. And, and uh, I really appreciate your time, uh, Elise, and uh, getting your perspective over the, the period of time you've been serving this this industry and this market and everything that you've done for this market. And we just uh, we really appreciate that.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Brent.
0: Absolutely. All right, guys, that's it for this week on the Digital Agency Show. Check us out next week. Until then, I'm Brent Weaver.